Well, good morning, Liberty Church. My name's Dan, and I get to teach today uh, from this ancient book, hoping to bring uh, some relevant truths out of it. And uh, uh, it's great to be with you all. I hope you are sitting comfortably. Um, I'm continuing our series uh, through 1 Thessalonians, which is a book, it's a very short book that Paul uh, wrote to the city of Thessalonica. Uh, and it's in kind of modern day uh, Greece, and he's writing to them uh, with some urgency because this, the backstory that you can find in Acts 17 is that he, uh, he went there with his team, with uh, Timothy and with Silvanus, the three of them went, and they're teaching in the synagogue, and they're teaching about Christianity, and all of a sudden, people are beginning to oppose them, and this riot kicks off. And uh, he gets, he has to flee. He has to flee for his life because his life is in danger because of what, uh, because of this Christianity that he was teaching them. And so what happens then, he sends Timothy uh, back because he's fled, he sends Timothy back uh, and Timothy comes back to Paul with a report and Paul then uh, responds to that report with this letter. And so he's, he's really wanting to encourage them, which he does in chapter one. And in chapter two, it kind of changes a little bit and it actually he's beginning to remind them of things and to defend himself. And we have to ask, the, you know, why is Paul on the defensive here? And it's because uh, although he left uh, his critics and those who stirred up the riots, they are still trying to influence the church of Thessalonica. And so they're accusing him um, of, of two things that probably actually hurt them the most. We don't exactly know, but we know that the local authorities accused Paul of turning their world upside down. And in another, of, uh, another part in the book of Acts, we hear that Paul, uh, as a result of teaching Christianity, there were many uh, idol makers, many who worked in the temple nearby, uh, whose livelihood was being threatened because Paul was telling them they didn't need idols. So it's likely, it's possible, uh, that in Thessalonica something similar was happen happening, that people's livelihoods, uh, the, the money they were making, uh, from selling idols was, was being cut out from underneath them because of what Paul was teaching. And so actually, not surprisingly, they then accused Paul of the same thing, that he's only in it for the money, that he's only in it for the fame. But what we see is in kind of three weeks, he gets to preach in the synagogue, only three Sundays. It's a, it's a, it's a very short time. But in that time, he has a huge influence. And it got me thinking about today and how we have people uh, who have influence but are also accused of only being in it for the money and the fame. And I began to think about the social media influences. And uh, these days, you can command a fee of up to a million US dollars for endorsing a product in one of your posts if you have enough followers. You know, even if you have a mere 100,000 followers, you can still charge something uh, around, I think it was 3,000 euros for a post. And, you know, it got me wondering, maybe this could be a, a, an income stream for me. Uh, so I looked on my Instagram account and I have a total of 199 followers. It's a pretty small number. So you today could be that 200th follower, if you want to be. But I then got thinking 
that maybe actually I'm really influential because the people, those 199 people, they have influence too. And so I began to do a little bit of stalking and, and discovered that the person who has the most influence, who follows me, has 6,000 followers. That's quite a lot. But her influence, and she's a good friend, her influence is because she makes very, very fancy cakes. And so I have concluded that I possibly could have some influence in the cake-making industry, but not much influence anywhere else. And, and Paul was kind of, to switch back somewhat dramatically, Paul was being accused of something similar, of only being in it for the money, only being in it for the fame. Lexi uh, is going to read today's verses. And just be listening out. You can hear Paul defending himself against these accusations. So, over to Lexi. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, or with a pretext for greed, God is witness nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you have become very dear to us. For you remember, our brothers, our labor and toil, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed the gospel of God. You are our witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Great, thanks so much, Lexi. So this morning, I'm kind of splitting what I want to teach into three parts. It's Paul's message. What, what was the message that he was wanting to leave with them? That he was willing to risk riots and imprisonment and, and ultimately even death for? Secondly, what were Paul's methods? The how, how did he go about this? And then thirdly, Paul's motive. The big why, it's such an important question. Why did he do this? So the, the what's the message, how did he do it, and why? And I wanna draw out afterwards some observations about how the Bible instructs us to be influencers, as Paul was an influencer, and to be a community together, and ultimately we wanna turn the world upside down as well. I've titled this talk somewhat ambitiously that love leads to irresistible influence. Love leads to irresistible influence. So firstly, Paul's message. What was it that Paul wanted to teach so badly that he couldn't contain it? He was willing to risk himself and his team were as well. Well, four times in those verses that Lexi read, it talks about the gospel of God. In verse two, in verse four, in verse eight, in verse nine, it, Paul talks about sharing the gospel, proclaiming the gospel, but he doesn't actually say what the gospel is. But we can cross-reference it and we can turn to Acts 17, 
where it tells us the story and it gives us some other information about the story. And we, there we discover that Paul, uh, in Acts 17.3, that he was explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. And Paul was saying that this Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And, and this is still kind of the message that Christ followers carry today. That because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we can be reconciled with God again. That we can receive forgiveness. That as a result of Jesus' death on the cross and, and his resurrection, that in that moment he defeated death and he defeated all evil. And then we see also in Acts 17, we, we learn of the impact of this message, this idea that they turn to the world upside down because as people are individually transformed by this message, so it begins to kind of have a ripple effect and it begins to turn the world upside down. It says in other verses uh, in the Bible, in Colossians 1.20, Jesus talks about reconciling all things to himself again that actually it's been broken, that, that we tend to live without the influence of Jesus in our lives. And, and Jesus wants to reconcile all things to himself. And in Psalm 24:1, it says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So there's this, I'm wanting to bring this idea that actually through this gospel message, the world is being transformed and it's being renewed, it's being reconciled, reunited with God and God's plan for it. And individually, we get to play a part in that. And that affects every area of life. It affects our work. It affects our relationships. It affects how we uh, handle our money. It starts with us being strengthened to face the challenges of this age. It motivates us to want to help others to becoming renewed too. And then uh, it includes us you know, wanting to live out our relationships, all our relationships, in a just and in a right way, not exploiting and not oppressing anyone. It also gives relevance to our work as well, that through our work we can begin to renew the world around us. And, and this is quite a, a lofty thought. It's worth taking some time to think through, actually, how does my work benefit society? How can I be renewing the world through my work? You know, we, we don't want church just to be uh, kind of contained to the Sunday moment, but we want to be turning the world upside down. I want to encourage us not to see our work as just paying the bills. It can easily slip into that. But actually our work is about benefiting society. It's about renewing the world. It's a much bigger vision. So as the gospel changes us, it, we change society too. And this is all part of Jesus' and God the Father's big plan to renew the world. These are just some of the smaller implications of the gospel. There are many, many more implications as well. So that was Paul's message that he was willing to cause a riot for. I want us to look at the how. How did he go about it? First thing to notice as a quick thing is throughout these verses, he says we. He's talking about team. And we are a team here. You, I, I'm the only one on screen right now, but there are others behind operating cameras and lights and things, and we're a team in this church, and we want to be a community that teams together, that actually no one does every part, but everyone plays a part. Secondly, Paul is saying this is a deeply relational activity. 
it's deeply relational. It's not functional. It's not kind of operational or administrative. It's, <coughs> excuse me. It's not like Paul has this five-year uh, strategy. Maybe he does. We don't know. But what we do know is that he comes with love first and foremost. And he gives these two very strong analogies for it. He, he talks about being a nursing mother, and then later on he talks about being a father. But firstly, he talks about the mother. He talks, he gives this picture of the selfless love that he comes with. In verse 7, he says, But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. And this is a selfless love. You know, Paul is seeking to love them genuinely. You know, from the bottom of his heart, uh, giving and loving and being gentle with them. And uh, this analogy of the mother uh, is brilliant because nursing mothers, they, they don't get paid for it. They don't get any flattery or any glory from it. You know, it, the, the baby is so dependent on them, it, it can offer them nothing back. But usually the only thing it does offer, I mean, around three months you might get a smile, you're not gonna get any thanks, but then you get a demand, maybe 90 minutes, maybe an hour and a half, that'd be the same thing. Maybe three hours later, you get a demand for some more nursing and another opportunity to give again. And so this nursing mother analogy is amazing because Paul is saying, look, how can I have come? If I'm coming like a nursing mother, I couldn't have come for money. I couldn't have come for flattery. He's saying that in his heart, he wanted to come just bringing the message of God to them. And nursing babies are, are so dependent, you know, they're so fragile. They can't even lift up their own head, you know. They, they need their mothers to hold their head when they're nursing. And this is how Paul came as well, in much gentleness. And it reminded me of a, a, a moment when I was in the office and I could see a, a work colleague of mine, just, I, I could tell things weren't right. She looked heavy with something. And I felt something of a Holy Spirit prompting that, that Although, you know, we're, we're in the work environment, uh, you know, I, sh I should carve out some minutes just to talk. And I knew as well that she wouldn't have approached me. I was her boss. Uh, she'd have thought this, is, this is, uh, might be seen as unprofessional. Um, but uh, I kind of went for it. I, I felt it was the right thing to do. And so I, I, I went for the head-on approach, first of all. I said, you know, how, how are you doing? Oh, she said, oh, I'm fine, thanks. And uh, I felt like a, a door slammed in, in my face. And then I, I, I tried a slightly different tactic. And I, I said, you know, do you have a good weekend? And, uh, and we began to chat about her weekend. And she'd spent it with her family. And then I began to chat a little bit about her family. And, uh, and then the emotion began to appear. And, and, and it was awkward. You know, that we're in an office. And, and there's, a, there's emotion happening. And I'm a guy, I'm her boss. And, um, but it was beautiful as well because in that moment what I could begin to see was this burden was lifting. And then I had a moment where I could begin to speak a bit of faith. I can begin to share a little bit of, of, of Jesus' love with her. And it cost me. It cost me because I had to reschedule some things. It cost me time. Uh, it cost me a bit of awkwardness. But... It was well worth it because in that moment I got to be like Jesus.
I got to kind of be gentle and loving and caring. And I could see the impact that it made on her. And I've loved in our Liberty Church community, I've experienced it as gentle and kind and caring and loving. And I wanna just uh, encourage us to keep, keep going, keep pushing in with it, keep being loving and caring and kind. You know, we wanna uh, keep cultivating it and we wanna not just grow it within our, our community groups and with the wider body, but we wanna see it begin to have ripple effects outside of church as well. We wanna be known as a community that genuinely cares for each other and for the city that we live in. It's easy to forget, you know, when there are tasks at hand that we were first made for, for, for friendship. We were first made to be in relationship. So a selfless love is what Paul says I came to you with. And then he talks about a supporting love. And we're switching to the father analogy. In verse 12 it says, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. So Paul's giving this picture of kind of encouraging them with, with words and exhorting them and he, he's uh, educating them, he's, he's telling them you know, what to do and how to do it. And then he's releasing them. He's charging them to go. And just a couple of months ago, I was uh, trying to teach a couple of my children uh, how to rollerblade, which is not something I know a lot about. But you know, they were, they were excited uh, to get these new toys. Uh, and there's an element of risk and danger with them. So first thing they want to do is they want to hold dad's hand. Uh, and they want to learn how to stand up in them. And I'm trying to give them my best encouragement and my little bits of knowledge about you know, how to balance and things. And then ultimately comes the moment where either I give them a little push or I let them go. And for a parent, that is quite an exciting moment because if I push too hard, it could be a serious parenting fail. And they don't want to talk to me for the rest of the day. But in that moment as well, I know that this is what we're leading up to, is that I want to encourage them and then I need to release them. And this is kind of the picture that Paul gives us. Picture of a father uh, who is present, who's involved, who's instructing, who's educating, who's encouraging, and ultimately Paul is commissioning. He's charging them. He may have uh, Proverb 22, verse 6 in mind, where it says, train up a child in the way he should go. And even when he's old, he won't depart from it. It's this picture of encouragement and commissioning. But it also shows us that Paul wasn't wanting to hold power. Paul wasn't wanting to gather as many followers as he could and, and make them all his. That Paul is uh, not empire building. He's wanting to release them, much like Jesus does. Jesus comes and, and he lays down his life and it's still open to anyone today, whether you take it or whether you don't. This is genuine love. So Paul has a selfless love, and he has a, him and his team have a supporting love. Now, it's important to note as well that Paul's not trying to set kind of roles for parenting here because he's saying that he displayed both of these things. He's displaying a mothering and a fathering. And he's not just making this up on his own, but he's getting it from Jesus. He's getting it from God the Father. And in Isaiah 63, you know, God the Father speaks through Isaiah and says, you know, uh, I want to comfort you the way a mother comforts. But Jesus teaches us that we pray 
to God our Father in heaven. In Jesus too, we see this deep selfless love when he says, uh, you know, let the little children come to me. He doesn't see them as irrelevant and unimportant, but he says, no, I've got time, I've got care, I've got affection for them. And again in, March, in uh, Matthew 23, 37, Jesus says how he's longed to be like a mother hen to, uh, to Jerusalem. He's wanting to care and comfort. He displays supporting love to the disciples when he sends them out, he commissions them. You know, he displays supporting love to them when he's on the side of the mountain and he's talking about the kingdom of God and he's teaching them. Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd. And a good shepherd, it cares and it guides. It does the two things. So Paul is saying that him and his team were both like a mother and a father to you. He was gentle, caring, encouraging, and then he charged them. He doesn't say it, but he could have said it. You know, I tried to mimic Christ to you. Jesus didn't do what he did for the money or for flattery. Paul could have said, you know, neither do I. I don't do it for the power, I don't do it for the fame. You might have heard it said that people don't care what you know until they know that you care. People don't care what you know until they know that you care. You know, it's the same for me, I'm sure it's the same for you, that when people come with criticism or people come with advice, that unless you know they really care about you, there's some barriers. And, uh, you know, we've got lots as Christ followers. This book is full of brilliant stuff to kind of, we, we want to teach the world, but we need to care for the world first and foremost. And even when we genuinely love people, it can still take time. But this is where God starts. God starts with love. That's the gospel message. That before God comes with rules or regulations, or this is a great way to live, he comes with love for us. In 1 John 3, 16, it says this, that this is how we know what love is. This is how we know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. So because of love, we want to be selfless, and we want to be supportive. So we've looked at Paul's message, we've looked at his method, how he was selfless, how he, he was supporting. You know, I've realized that when someone comes to me like this, I'm all ears, pun intended. It softens my heart and it begins uh, to hopefully speak to the title that love leads to irresistible influence. Love leads to irresistible influence. So then the third M was Paul's motive, the big why. Why does he even bother with this? And he's saying, look, I didn't do it for the money. I didn't do it for the fame. But even with the fame, he's saying, you know, uh, in another letter he writes to the Corinthians, he says, actually, I do have a little bit of concern about what people think, a little bit. But I care much more about what God thinks. 1 Corinthians 4, 3 says, but... With me, it's a small thing that I should be judged by you or any other human. It is the Lord who judges me. So often we get it the wrong way around, that we care much more about what other people think and only a small thing 
about what God thinks. And Paul's saying, no, no, we've got to reverse it. We've got to care much more about what God thinks and only care a little bit about what other people think. He says, I'm not in it for the money. And Matt talked to, uh, about this last week in his preaches. It's worth looking up. Uh, but Matt talked about how we can't serve two masters. You know, money is, is kind of a picture of, of, of man trying to serve himself, of man uh, looking for his own resources. And we can't do that if we're looking for God and looking to draw on his resources. You know, Paul is clear in, in these verses earlier that he doesn't come to them for money, that he pays his own way. He looks to God for his money. And it's an encouragement for us as well. You know, this idea that we don't have to work for money, we don't have to work for fame, it's incredibly releasing. Paul says in verse four, his motive for doing this was to please God, to please God. And when our heart is to please God, uh, it releases us, it releases us from idleness because we're motivated to please God. It also releases us from workaholism because we don't have to please others. We can leave the office sometimes at a more reasonable hour or, or we can log off from Zoom at a more reasonable hour. It means that we can sometimes say no to things, perhaps to asks. It means we can trust God with our career uh, progression and to our status. We can trust God with our reputation. So this is Paul's motive. His motive is to please God. So we've looked at his message, his, the gospel message, the one to see the world renewed. We've looked at the method of selfless and supporting love. And we've looked at his motive. The Paul does it to please God. And, I, and I'm wanting to urge us all as well, that as Paul is, you know, he's been mimicking Christ in all this to the Thessalonians, that we would do the same. And I wanna give us kind of three options, three ways we can consider living as a result of, of looking at these verses today. The first is we can influence others because of our message that we can live and we can speak a message that begins to turn the world upside down. The second option is that we can seek to influence with how we bring our message. And this is key, that love leads to irresistible influence. And thirdly, we can seek to influence, to please God, not out of a motive of wanting to please man or out of wanting more money. But in order to do this, we've got to know God's love first. We've got to uh, remember the verse uh, from 1 John 3:16, where he says, you know, but God showed his love to us by allowing his son Jesus Christ to die for us. Excuse me. We need to be motivated by how Jesus lives for us, by Jesus' love, his care, his encouragement, his education of us his sacrificial service to us. You might have noticed that phrase in the middle where Paul says he was affectionately desirous of them. Affectionately desirous. It's such a strong phrase. You know, his, it's this picture of Paul's heart being so full of love for them. 
you know, he can't stop thinking about them. He can't stop caring for them. There's just kind of emotion oozing towards them. It keeps bubbling up. And I think, again, Paul is, is, he stops short of saying this, but he's reflecting God's love for us. And I think some of us need to be reminded of that today, that God is affectionately desirous of each one of us. And that's true whether you'd say you're a, a Christ follower or whether you're just, you know, maybe you clicked on the link accidentally or maybe you're wanting to explore further the claims and the teachings of Christ. You first need to know that it's out of love that God gave his son for each of us. Jesus is still affectionately desirous of us today. And then Paul's last verse verse 12 we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory God is calling each one of us to to work in a manner worthy of God who calls us into his kingdom and into his glory so if this is all news to you I want to encourage you in the YouTube chat, there's going to pop up a link in uh, the next 15 minutes where you can come to our Zoom meeting. Uh, there'll be others there. I might be able to make it there myself. Um, and I'd love to chat with you. Uh, I'd love to chat with you uh, about some of these claims and teachings. Um, you know, actually, if this is your first time ever uh, on one of these things, then we'd love to connect with you and give you some more information about the church too or like Indy said earlier if you just want some prayer then you can use that link as well I'm going to pray for us now and then we're going to sing some more songs of worship yeah Father God we, we, we love your amazing example that you come to us with love first that you come to us with a, a mothering and a fathering love that it's a deep selfless and supporting love and we love Paul's example of that to us. And God, my prayer for me and for our community is that as we live out these truths, as we live out selflessly and supportingly, seeking to please you, that we might turn the world upside down. God, won't, won't it be true that our love for you and our love for others, wouldn't it lead to irresistible influence that turns things upside down? I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Over to the band.